Have you seen any good movies lately? Uh, no. No, I haven't. Have you? I'm trying to think. Are we recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We you are. tricked me into that. <laughs> um, so we were going to watch the new Shazam, and so to catch everyone up, we watched the old Shazam. Old, old, or the first of the new ones? The first of the new ones. The first of, of the two new ones. With, uh, what's the actor's name? He was, he was Chuck, right, in Chuck. And he played Kurt Warner in the Kurt Warner story. I think that's the guy's name. Or Kurt the, Warner? <clears throat> yeah. Is it a football story or a senator story? It's the football story. Okay. That actor, I think, played Kurt Warner, and he was Chuck in Chuck, right? Isn't that the guy who plays Shazam? His name is Zachary Levi. And what's interesting is he's got a lot of gray hair in his IMDb picture. But in the movie, he looks like a young a young guy. Really young dude. Of course, he's a superhero. Yeah, Chuck, the TV series. He was in 91 episodes of Chuck. Yeah, he was he was Chuck Bartowski in the series Chuck. All right, uh, he was Flynn Rider in Tangled. He was the voice of Flynn Rider. Oh yeah, I like Tangled. That was great. He appeared in the Marvel Cinematic Universe films Thor: The Dark World and Thor: Ragnarok as Fandral. Don't know who that is. I don't know either, and I'm pretty sure I don't see it listed here. Maybe because it was too much of a <clears throat> feel good pro. Christian movie, but the Kurt Warner story, I think he played Kurt Warner. Hmm. Who was, uh, you, Kurt Warner was the quarterback for the Rams when they were, uh, when they had those great, exciting teams in the early 2000s. And Kurt Warner was kind of a, um, underdog story, right? Went from a failed, Quarterback Is it called to, American Underdog. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. He he was yeah. A college, he plays Kurt Warner in American Underdog. College football player wanted to make it in the NFL. Kept getting cut. Ended up bagging groceries. Went to a tryout, and uh, anyway, and became a Hall of Famer. It's a cool story. Like I think Kurt Warner, um, the real life Kurt Warner, I think tries to do a lot of good in the world with his money and podium and he's an unashamed christian him him and his wife and they were never uh real bashful about that during his playing days either which the of course is okay if like you're a this is gonna this is gonna get us in trouble but it's okay if you're a, a black guy in the nfl to praise jesus and to pray in the end zone and to wear a cross white guys can't do but that in the a, nfl if a white guy does it then it's problematic I haven't spent a lot of time watching NFL lately, so I just remember Tim Tebow was also that way, still is, and he would. Well, he's like over the top. 
I mean, I'm not. Yeah, okay, but, I shouldn't but, say it that but way. Look, over, the, over the top implies somehow he's got a defect. No, Tim Tebow was like very <clears throat> openly and effusively, right? Like, yeah, that's yeah, me. He, he was. But he would get criticized for kneeling in the end zone after scoring a touchdown. But if. He, I guess the problem was he scored a lot of touchdowns, and so people were tired of seeing it. Maybe. Okay. But no one seems to be too bothered about it when another type of player does when the black guys do it the black guy does it or if he praises jesus in the post-game interview anyway maybe this is the way to get a a more listeners is to start saying very controversial controversial things that aren't very controversial in reality very controversial i think if we insult our (laughs) listeners then we at least get some conversation going you know, one of our, That's my, just, that would be too easy. One though. of our friends uh, sent me a long set of texts. Apparently, I got the whole El Nino, La Nina uh, story wrong. We were talking about the climate and the, the weather this year. Not totally wrong, but I got a few of the details wrong. So I'm not going to, I'm just going to let you know it wasn't exactly correct there's always cold water coming down from alaska that's the direction of the currents the Mm -hmm. current can slow and uh the question is how what's the temperature of the pacific ocean off the coast of of california off the coast of uh uh, the northeastern northwestern states you know uh oregon and washington that sort of determines where the water comes in and 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 the general traditional condition is the water's coming in in the Pacific Northwest, which is pretty obvious to everybody, and therefore California and the and the west western states of the United States are mostly a desert, because that's the the default condition. But when it switches, you can get um, a lot more water coming in, and that and that has to do with these cyclical weather patterns, mm-hmm. El Nino, La Nina, and then this neutral position, and of course we're only just barely starting to see people talk about the potential that we're going to get into an El Nino cycle as this epic flooding is upon us. So yeah, I, you, I would you, encourage you to look into those, those ideas. This, this idea of some sort of an atmospheric river is new, new terminology for old things we've discovered long ago. Right. Yeah. There's uh there's been some catastrophic flooding already in Salt Lake City in the Sugar House neighborhood. That's a neighborhood of Salt Lake City. One of our listeners reminded us that it was 40 years to the date, April 13th or something like that, that it started in 1983. And yeah, that was when it, when it started in Salt Lake again. And it's going to go on for a month. It's not like it's... Uh, at least, because there's a lot of snow up there. Yeah, well, no, but that, yeah, this isn't just a one-time event. This, this spring has just begun to melt. Yeah, the, the river in Ogden is uh, already overflowing. There's been damage to neighborhoods up on the shelf, which is a uh, a name for the sandy foundationed uh, hills uh, on the east bench of Salt Lake and uh, Utah counties. So it's it, it, and it's interesting because Spencer Cox, the uh, venerable governor of the great state of Utah, vegetable governor, I tweeted believe. out uh, that the the massive winter has been an answer to prayers because he, of course, said last year, "Pray for rain." And uh, somehow, I don't think that the flooding is an answer to prayers to the people whose streets and driveways and homes are being damaged or washed away. It's just a cycle. The local communist rag. 
uh, KSL <laughs> has three stories about the flooding, but there's not there they don't have one on their uh, above the fold area mm-hmm. of the website. So, but their front page does have three stories about it. So it's a pretty it's it's <clears throat> just te- it's right now the tip of the iceberg telling us it's going to be in our uh, face. I think. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, today's Monday, April 17th, 2023. We're the Mind Virus Show. Mindvirus.show. You know where to find us because you're hearing us right now. So obviously. That's right. So we don't even have to tell you how to find us. But But if you're new around here, you also know where to find us because you're listening right now. You can find us on the web at mindvirus.show, and we'd love to get more activity there. If you'd like to join the conversation in the comments section, that'd be great. We had some folks that spoke out last time. When you get a personal text from a friend who's like, ah, that sucked, you know, then you know you're in trouble. So that's why I have to correct the record on El Nino, La Nina. Okay. Yeah, my, my friends don't text me about the podcast. Well, that's because they it's don't, a triangle of friends. Isn't they it? don't listen. It's a, it's a, not a circle. It's a triangle. I think they listened once and it made them uncomfortable. And so it's kind of like that Jim Gaffigan bit where Jim Gaffigan talks about uh, mixing groups of friends, and he's like, "Hold on a second before we meet with these other friends. They don't know I drink." <laughs> <laughs> That's that's funny, especially for Mormons, right? If you're trying to keep your Mormon, right, your fringe Mormon right. circles and your non-Mormon circles straight, <laughs> right? You got the fringe, you got the the mainstream, and the non, right? Well, Doctor Nick chimed in last time. He agreed with me, so thank you, Doctor Nick. I will uh, settle that up later. Um, <laughs> he was uh, made some interesting comments about the age of Pisces versus Aquarius. I play the radio, of course. Gave us a few quotes, which. You know, probably the quintessential mind virus um, quote, the spirit of the mind virus is encapsulated in this one quote that he had. I can't even remember if it was you or me that said it, but he said, quote, you could argue against it, but you'd be wrong. I think you said that. I think I did, because you said (laughs) you could make an argument against something, something. something. And I said, you could make an argument against that, but you'd You'd be be wrong. wrong. See? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> TBM chimed in, chimed in about artificial intelligence, gave us a few more comments. And uh, Whitaker jumped in also. Apparently, TBM teaches college, and he is his final exam in one of his classes is going to be focused on critiquing a chat GPT statement. Right. That'll I'd like to. I'd like you to follow up on that, TBM. I'm trying to think if I would enjoy being in TBM's classes or not. Well, I I heard it from a source. I wonder if it would make us better or worse friends. I heard it from an unnamed source. Who heard it from a friend who? TBM just plays the Mind Virus podcast in his classroom for his class. So he doesn't even have to prepare lessons? Yeah, he just sits, at least on, on Tuesdays, that's what he does. He just sits down and, and plays this show. So h- hello, class. 
and then uh, and then they have a discussion about it for on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. By the way, class, TBM wants a 25-page paper by next Tuesday on whether or not socialism has already broken America or whether it is just finishing breaking America. And then a follow-up, another 25 pages, why real socialism has never been tried. Right. 107% of your grade will be based on these two papers. Thank you. Also, Continuing on. You there in the second row. Turn your hat around frontwards, okay? You're an adult now. You don't wear your hat backwards. <laughs> and get your feet off the table. Clean your room. <laughs> so if George Bruno and Bobby Flood were teaching college, that'd be interesting. It'd probably end up t- like a Beavis and Butthead episode or something. <laughs> we talked about that, didn't we? When Beavis and Butthead went to the woke college and I've they learned about that. white privilege. Yeah, I've seen that clip. I think we clip. linked to that clip. It's a good clip. <laughs> I have white privilege. <laughs> and they just walk through the cafeteria taking everything. They take somebody's car and wreck it into a police car. Right. I'm, excuse me, officer. I'm sorry, but I, I don't think you understand. We have white privilege. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there, especially at universities, who believe that that is the reality, that white people can get away with anything, which, of course, is not reality. But reality has a way of slapping people in the face at some point or another. There's a, there's a video out there. It's, it's a few years old. I've seen it make the rounds a few times. There's a girl, and she's got a dog on her lap. And she says, you know, my dog is vegan. And, and I'm going to prove it to you today. And she has a bowl of lettuce and, a, and some meat right, side by side on plates, you know, two separate plates. And she says, okay, puppers, show everybody that you're vegan. And the dog just immediately digs into the meat. Yeah. And she's like, no, 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 no. And she tries to steer it back to the lettuce and the dog's not having it. <laughs> and it's just this great backfire. <clears throat> clearly the Live dog, streamed. Yeah. And so it's, it's out there. It's clearly the dog is not vegan. <laughs> Which is just silly like to think that a, a, a carnivorous beast that you can somehow change its DNA and its instincts and its nature. I mean, dogs are descendants and cousins of wolves, and one of the most efficient killers on the planet. Uh, you know, species that is decimating the elk population in Yellowstone National Park mm. and varying regions. That's another controversial topic. We want to really generate some traffic. We should we should say some things about wolves, but we won't today. Other than that, they're really good at killing elk. Right, and the farmers in Idaho and Wyoming have been forbidden from shooting them for a long time. So they kill livestock. <clears throat> yeah, they kill livestock. They terrorize they're them. Being, they terrorize people. They're being reintroduced into Colorado, which is a terrible idea. Colorado has no room for wolves. Well, it's just in time for the apocalypse. Right. Right. Isn't it, is it that movie, the, the Day After Tomorrow, where wolves somehow, Roam the streets of uh, yeah, New York, York City. and <laughs> Yeah, and chase them across a, 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 what is it, a freighter, like a, a, like a massive ship yeah, big, that has been caught in New York City. Like an aircraft carrier or something like that, yeah. It's this massive freighter that just, just gets stuck next to the library. Drifted into Manhattan. Yep, drifted right down the, the streets and made it all the way to the library. And then the wolves <laughs> came in. Is that the same t- movie where they're trapped in the library and they're getting ready to burn an old priceless Bible? 
they're burning books and there's a guy that's saving the books that they're burning. Yeah, the, like the, and, and, and I'm somebody thinking, has to point out the law library just below him. Yeah, we'll just burn the law books. And I'm sitting there going, the whole place is filled with wood furniture. <laughs> burn the wood furniture. <laughs> it will burn longer and hotter. Than and, paper. And it's wood. It's wood, people. You don't have to burn any of the books. They needed a fast fire because the the freezing vortexes were yeah, coming upon well, you, them quickly. A book will burn fast. It'll burn. It'll start quickly, but it'll also burn out quickly. So you could use it to start a fire. That you know, with wood. If you leave it um, closed, it's going to burn longer than if you tear all the pages out. Yeah. True. True. Kind of like a sort of a log. <clears throat> kind of like a fake log. I guess, but only if it's a priceless, uh, like, 15th century Bible, right? That might burn faster. <laughs> a little Holy Spirit in there. Well, that movie, I mean, I don't want to nitpick that movie. It's essentially a documentary. <laughs> we, we all, the, the punchline is we all end up as refugees in Mexico. Yeah. Those of us that make it. I was in the theater watching that movie. And oh, you the, paid money to uh, watch that? <laughs> and the audience was just scoffing and laughing and hooting and hollering and there's a reporter who says something like the the mexican government has agreed to let american refugees in but only under the condition that the u.s forgive all debt that mexico owes to the united states and at that point i think my my grandpa who was not a subtle person (laughs) at times yells yeah right (laughs) (laughs) it just the movie Mm. did not captivate the audience that particular audience anyway. So this Zachary Levi guy, he, his parents must have had some fixation on the Bible. Well, he has... He gets two biblical names. Two biblical names. Because when your parents choose your last name, you know, that's sort of a big deal. Really, it's your mom who chooses your last name because it's who she chooses to marry. Well, you got a point there. So his mom had no, obviously had no problems with marrying somebody named Levi, assuming that Zachary Levi came from a, uh, a wedlocked home. Well, Zachary Levi was born as Zachary Levi Pugh, P-U-G-H. Is that how you'd say that? Probably. On September 29th in 1980. To Susan Hoctor and Daryl Alton Pugh. So is Levi a middle name? His, he uses his middle name as his stage name because his birth name, Pew, which is of Welsh origin, sounds too much like Pew, P-E-W. Okay, fair His other enough. ancestry includes Irish, English, French, German, Scottish, and Swiss. He grew up all over the country before his family put down roots in Ventura County, California. So he is not, uh, does not appear to be of uh, Jewish origin or but maybe that biblical uh that that biblical leaning maybe they what, just what's like, the word i'm looking for maybe that they just maybe his mom and dad just really like jeans maybe <laughs> maybe that penchant for uh biblical names had to do with their irish catholic ancestry i don't know maybe they are not Irish. Who knows? Maybe they're not. Sorry. Maybe they're not Catholic. But uh, I thought Shazam was a good show. The first one. I haven't seen the second one yet. I haven't seen either. 
I've heard You've never seen the first Shazam? No. It's actually pretty good for a non Marvel superhero mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard great things about the second one, but my guess is it's not great compar- uh, comparatively, just like most sequels have a hard time. Well, and I'd heard also that the second one had some forced diversity and wokey stuff with characters and writing and things like that. But I don't know. I well, there's sort of there there's sort of a. There, some of that introduced in the first one too. There's like a, mm-hmm. well, maybe it's the second one that they, I can't remember if I, cause I, I think I was looking at the, a little bit of the second one to see if we wanted to show it to the kids, but uh, it's, they're kids movies. They're well, Shazam, or at least the, like the PG 13, right? The, the kid is a like the hero is a kid, right? And he turns into an adult superhero yeah. when he says Shazam. Isn't yeah. that the premise of the Shazam superhero? Is his mm-hmm. name Shazam when he's in that form? Or is that just what he says to, to transform? Well, okay. So the Shazam movie is really interesting in that it's got a lot of symbolic archetypal elements in it. He goes he has to kind of transport to this temple where there's an old wizard that's trying to pass on his power, right? To someone that's pure in heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are, I think seven, there's the number seven (laughs) is uh, used all the time in the show. Um, There are, these evils that they call the seven deadly sins that become embodied and they're these villain monsters that they have to defeat. Um, well, anyway, Shazam, or, or the kid Billy, he takes a new name, mm-hmm. which gives him his power. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, you... Do they still do that in the Mormon temple, or has that been contactly, contactlessly removed? I don't. You'll have to go and find out. I got. If you want to know, you got to go and find out. Okay, we're not going to talk about that here. We have uh, we have approached that subject on the Mind Virus Show, but uh, anyway, you if you want to watch it and we could talk about it, maybe that'd be interesting. Uh, I don't know that it's. I would call it an echo. I would say, you know, I don't, I don't know that the people that did it had a lot of knowledge about esoteric themes, but there's some really interesting stuff there. I'm Googling something. Okay, go ahead and Google. I'll just leave dead air. No, I'll I'll say this. I enjoyed the movie Shazam, the first one, 2019. It's really funny. I don't want to ruin it for you guys, but there's... Shazam? Shazam. Whenever I hear Shazam, I think of Gomer Pyle. Oh, okay. Shazam, Andy. <laughs> There's this scene in the show where the so the kid is like a he's like a 14 year old kid and he turns into a 20 year old body superhero, and he's a he's a foster kid. He's in uh you know he's lost his parents and but he's a good kid. But it's just funny the things that they do. They they their first reaction is just to become like YouTube influencers, right? To become 
famous mm-hmm. and then charge people for pictures, right? Like the people do in Times Square. You want to get pictures with superheroes and right. tip them or whatever, pay them. I guess they do that in Vegas too. Well, anyway, there's this scene where they realize they can buy beer. And uh, so the guy, <laughs> Shazam, walks in and is, of course, when he's in his uh, adult form, he's wearing his superhero uniform, which is hilarious in and of itself. Walks in and he buys beer and then they walk out and they take a drink. They walk out of the convenience store. They take a drink of the beer and they both simultaneously spit it out of their mouths. And the one kid says, that tastes like actual vomit. (laughs) 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 Which is just so funny to me. I know I've got friends that like alcohol. I know people that drink alcohol. I just, the smell of it, the, you know, to me, and I'll admit it, I've tasted it. It's like drinking acetone, nail polish remover. Have you drank acetone? No, but I've smelled acetone. Hmm. Okay. It's the same. It's the same thing. <clears throat> have, you ha- have you been up close and personal with a, a good alcoholic beverage, um, or ha- and been in a peer pressure situation where people try to get you to drink it? Just Mountain Dew. Alcohol. They make alcoholic Mountain Dew. Oh, Mountain Dew is an alcoholic. No, see, the alcohol is the thing that makes it smell like actual vomit. So when they say this tastes like actual vomit, and they spew it out of their mouths, I'm like. The, the, that is what drinking a beer is like. In I've my had opinion. I've had a non-alcoholic beer before, uh, like a O'Doul's. I think maybe having grown up on soda pop is what caused me to get addicted to like high fructose corn syrup. That mm-hmm. to me seems far more enticing, and it doesn't taste like actual vomit. It can. There's some pretty nasty nasty sodas out there. Like what? Name one. Diet Pepsi. See, I'm fine with sampling a beer, but caffeinated drinks, that's against the word of wisdom. (laughs) I mean, that's that's how I was brought up. It's like, we don't drink Coke because it's got the caffeine. And, you know, I did, when reading section 89 of the Doctrine and Covenants, when it's recommended barley for all your mild drinks and understanding what a mild drink is, then I thought, oh, yeah, I really don't have a problem with sampling this uh, alcohol. And then once it's, once you've, I mean, I think you should wait. It's probably good that your kids don't, you don't let them have alcohol till they're, you know, what, 21? Is that what it is in Utah? 21 or 18? What is it? 21. You just saying that? No, it's 21. You can buy cigarettes at 18. But you can't drink until you're 21, legally in the state of Utah. Legal age, uh, Utah.gov. A person must be 21 years of age or older to purchase and consume alcohol in Utah. They also have to be 21 or older to go into certain establishments that sell alcohol. But they may be drafted at age 18. Well, yeah. That's a given. Um, I'm just saying... I think that's probably good to not let kids have it till they're older because, you know, their mental pathways are forming. If you've seen kids, if you know kids, if you're a parent, you know, you kind of get the picture on this. I would I'd say if we took a flash poll of, you know, the people listening to the Mind Virus show, the adults, they'd probably mostly agree. Probably 99.9% would agree. Hey, yeah, kids are, kids are kind of like probably ought to be protected from doing stuff like that. 
Probably a good idea. And then I think if you do that, then when they get older, they t- they take a taste of it and they're like, oh, this tastes like actual vomit. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, okay, well, then we don't have to worry so much about it. Well, this is the part where you turn us off because we're starting to give parental advice. And you know that that's a bad idea coming from us. Well, okay, well... <laughs> what other parental advice do you have? Maybe that's what we should talk about here on the show today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm in a position to give advice. I only have five kids and it's still, the jury's still out on how they're going to turn out. I thought the jury was out on whether you were going to have more. The jury, <laughs> the jury is not out on that. <laughs> Mrs. Uh, Flood is pretty <laughs> sure that that's not going to happen. Or is it Mr. Flood? Mr. and Mrs. Flood are pretty sure that's not going to happen. Well, you know, when you get older, abstinence is easier. So (laughs) (laughs) a little parental advice. So anyway, it's hard uh, for you kids, but it gets easier as you get older. Welcome to the Mind Virus (laughs) podcast where we discuss intellectual. We are two intellectual heavyweights. Welter, <laughs> welter weights? What are the weights? What are the beer? Well, what are you, the- you got flyweight, lightweight, welterweight, light heavyweight, heavyweight. Okay, so flyweight, I got them all right here. Wait, there's 18 of them. Wow. Okay. You got them all? I don't know them all. I just listed a few that I remembered off this the This is according of my to head. Google from, from sources across the web. Wow. You have super heavyweight, mini flyweight, bantamweight, flyweight, light welterweight, middleweight, super bantamweight, light flyweight, cruiserweight, light middleweight, welterweight, lightweight, super flyweight, super featherweight, super middleweight, featherweight, light heavyweight, and heavyweight. Okay, we've we've gone. We're out of control in our society if we have eighteen weight classifications for what is that? Boxing. Yeah, boxing. What's the difference between bantamweight and super bantamweight? I have no idea. I just I'm not like a huge boxing. Is it now the point where like a weight class? Is it now the point where a weight class is like 132 to 134, fighting at 132.5 pounds in this corner, super welter bantam, and in the other corner weighing 132.7 pounds. Super duper belter, belter, bantam, bantam. Are those their names? I don't know. <laughs> but these, there's way too many. It's hard to make this stuff up there's, right on the there's fly. There's way too many uh, uh, classifications. That's uh, okay. just a, you in, take you, 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 you wake up in the morning and go to the bathroom, you change weight classes. <laughs> in, in, in Bobby Flood's ideal society, how many boxing weights are there? How many boxing classes? There'd be no weight classes. There'd be no weight classes and no gender classes because I don't see class. You'd make them all fight together? Yeah, that's true equality. So would it just essentially be Fedor who Emelianenko, which we brought did we bring him up before when look, he look, look. Uh, got suplexed by that guy in the MMA? I think we did. Yeah, I think it was me and uh, our our friend uh, Dave that podcasted with me when you were gone. Look, I saw a documentary and it showed a very big giant fighter fighting a really small guy, Andre the Giant, and it was an equal fight. It was a fight between a guy named Hulk and Thor, 
and they were in an arena and they fought and it was pretty equal. I thought you were talking about the documentary, The Princess Bride. Oh, I have seen that. When the man in black fights Andre the Giant, Fezzik, Mm -hmm. who likes to rhyme. Yeah, I saw, I've seen that too. And that's another proof that you can fight anybody regardless of your weight class. Yeah. Although the man in black used things that would not be available in a arena setting. Well, he also was able to gain the advantage because uh, Fezzik said that he had, was too used to fighting gangs. Right. And he also says things like, Wow, you're quick. <laughs> I could kill you now. I could kill you now. And then he throws a rock at him. I missed on purpose. That's right. There's so <clears throat> that should be required for context for quotes. That that movie. Yeah, that's a very quoted, heavily quoted movie. It's in the uh, movie heavyweight division as far as quotes are concerned. What are we going to talk about today? I thought Shazam was an interesting show, and uh, that is a movie that I have recently seen. What, are we, what have you been watching lately? What's on your mind, Mr. Flood? Uh, I've been watching lots of... I mean, there's no, there's no hunting to be done right now. I've been watching lots of... You can't, you can't of, really uh, develop the Nimrod side of your personality. Well, I, I, I put in the applications for fall hunts. So you're on top of it. You have to do that in the spring. I've been watching a lot of a certain sport that takes place in the spring. Being involved with that. Oh, okay, okay. So you've been doing a lot of your uh, stuff we're not going to talk about on the podcast here. (laughs) I've uh, watched a little bit of golf recently. I've watched some baseball. Um, I've been playing some video games as I do. I've, I've been listening. Is listening to a book on Audible? Like an audio book, is that the same as reading the book? You know, I've wondered about that. Like, so we have some friends of the podcast that listen to a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Very smart people. Well, they listen to us. That's why they're so smart. Before we started this, they were they were <laughs> welterweight intelligence, but now they're heavyweight intelligence. Okay. Why do we Why do we associate like? Oh, we say, well, that guy's a lightweight. And that's an insult. But we say, oh, he's one of the intellectual heavyweights. That's, that's a compliment. But some of the best fighters of all time have been lightweights, welterweights, super welter welterweights, bantam bantam, welter white, Walter whiteweights. You mean light welterweight, welterweight, light middleweight. So why is it that the lighter the weight gets, gets associated with incompetence or not being very good at something but heavyweight then that's what's a welter what's a bantam weight you know i think those are what you weigh in junior high okay so there's only one cruiserweight class what's 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 lighter fly bantam feather or cruiser i have no idea okay i would think flyweight and featherweight are pretty lightweight but anyway, okay, keep going. I don't understand why why heavyweight has become associated with being like the best at something. Like, oh, he's he's one of the heavyweights. Well, they punch hard. They do, but the, the, they can also like wear out after thirty five seconds, and then and then there's just a lot of like hugging in the ring. Yeah, 
Well, it's a I lot think of some of the weight to move around. Some of the best UFC fights are the lighter guys that are really athletic and they're hopping around like spider monkeys in that in, in that the cage. octagon, and it's awesome. <laughs> the octagonal they're, cage. They're kicking each other. They're <clears throat> flipping around. They're jumping on each other's shoulders and choking them out. They're doing backflips and the Thunderdome. So anyway, um, you said uh, you, we have some. You have we have some listeners who listen to a lot of stuff, and they're very smart, getting us back on track. And they listen to a lot of books on tape. Yeah, I play the radio does. Well, yeah, obviously he plays the radio. Yeah. So is it the same as, is listening to a book on Audible or your preferred audio book platform the same as reading it? I Can don't know. You, I, like, I, I have a tendency to check out, to zone out, and my mind will go somewhere else, even when I'm reading a book. That can so. happen, yeah. That would happen a lot when I was reading the scriptures as a kid, you know, because it was like, okay, you need to read the scriptures every day. So you read it right before bed and it would just put you right to sleep. And Shem begat Shemza. And Shemza begat Temna. And Temna begat Temna Naha. And Temna Naha begat Shiz. And Shiz begat. Ah, oh, it says Shiz. <laughs> <laughs> That would wake you up as a kid. That wasn't a thing when I was a kid. It became a thing when my kids were kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, for example, you said, what have I been doing? I've been listening to some, uh, a book on audio. But can I say I've been Fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. Of course it was fiction. I like some good, I like some good nonfiction. Was this a book written by, uh, say, a Democrat politician? <clears throat> no. Why would I? A Republican politician. Well, you said it was fiction. Why would I ever buy anything from a politician? I don't I even buy their rhetoric, let I didn't alone. I know you their... bought it. Well, anyway, was it I... written by? <laughs> was it written by? Um, it's a statist liberal. I, I actually don't know this guy's personal life, but it, it's a book called uh, "The Blade Itself." It's the Is first it about climate change. It, no, it's you a... said it was fictional. <laughs> it's the first book in the. It's a trilogy called the Something Law Trilogy by Joe Abercrombie. The Blade Itself is the book I've been reading. I'm about halfway through it. Reading as in listening to in my truck yeah, when I you, drive. Okay, that is a good question for the listeners. Can you actually claim to have read something you only listened to? I think you can, but I do I don't think... I that you can. I the, mean, the experiences are different because when you listen to an audiobook, you get a little bit of interpretation from the reader, you know, the narrator, even though he's just a narrator. Isn't it your duty to inform your uh, interlocution counterpart, the person with whom you are speaking, that you only listened to it? Or is it possible that it's even better that you listen what to I, it what, what, rather than read it? What if somebody, what if I read a book out loud to you? Like I say, to, I say to you, Bobby, I'm like, hey, you know, uh, I was reading this book the other day and I blah, blah, blah. And you, and you come back and you say, oh, I've read that, but you haven't really read it. You actually just listened to it. Is that, isn't that a little bit deceptive? Maybe. Maybe it is. I don't know. This is a question that we probably <laughs> should solve. question of our age. Because we do have a lot of books on tape now. It's, that's what they're called for you old people. Books on tape. You used to buy them at a gas station in the middle of nowhere on your way to uh, Disneyland because you were sick of the uh, bad radio reception. You can't get KSL very good down in the Mojave Desert, so uh, you'd have to buy a book on tape. 
you listen to that for the next couple of hours. What, how long did those tapes run? Was it two hours, basically? You flip well, you, it over you, in the middle? Yeah, you remember you could flip them over, which was pretty cool technology. And then they made the flip inside the... They made it so that your radio would do the flip for yeah. you. Then they made they the didn't CD. Even have to spit it out. And the CD could have fit like four hours. Yeah, but it only had one side. It did only have one side, but it could fit a lot more music. And then they made the six CD changer, which mm-hmm. fits somewhere under your seat or in the console. Or the trunk. Possibly. Yeah. Remember, uh, did you ever have any buddies or did you ever have a C, you know, a disc man? And uh, you would Yeah, wanna... on my mission, I got my first disc man. Bought, want... it for, bought, off, bought it off of a missionary that was leaving uh-huh. at a fair price, I think. Yeah, maybe it was a fair price back then. Maybe. I and can't then, even remember what the price was, but then, I remember thinking, I've got a CD player now. I remember you would you would drive in your car and you would use this cable that ran to a cassette. Oh, we still have like, those. We still have the, we still have those in use in some of the aging fleet of the of the <laughs> Bruno families. You plug that cars. tape into the tape deck, player, the, tape the tape deck, deck and a cable would come out and, and with an auxiliary end that would plug into the Disc yeah, those man. work. That works. And then, but there was a problem as you drove around. That disc man would rattle and shake, and it would skip. So it'd be like, what song are you singing? Oh, any Pearl Jam song. Oh, Pearl Jam. Okay. <laughs> and so people would do all kinds of things. They'd wrap that disc man in in a fleece blanket. I had one friend that had like this mechanism, this like spring loaded arm that would suspend it in the air was it made for that specific purpose yeah or you oh, know, wow. people would they, you do all this stuff to to avoid the cd skipping and then somehow they made it so that it, that didn't wasn't such a problem to the point where you they just made cd players for your car well you could get the cd the 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 cd players in the you know built in those were a lot more stable but those were also a lot more expensive and now there's CD players in cars and no one ever uses them because you just connect to your phone, I know. which has Audible or in fact, iTunes on it. Today, it's actually much more convenient to have a car that has a tape deck because you can get the little tape converter guy and use the auxiliary cord. But if you have a CD player, you're kind of hosed. You have to go into the back of the radio or do some special thing to be able to plug your iPod who still has an iPod? Remember the iPod? Yeah. Remember how many songs you could put? A hundred songs in your pocket. A hundred songs? That was the original selling pitch by Steve Jobs. A hundred songs in your pocket, and it blew us all away. And it was like kind of a big thing. And it, it cost like 500 bucks, and people thought they, they were stealing they from were Apple. They were in heaven. A hundred songs. died and gone to heaven. Died and gone to the you know spirit many, paradise. You know how many songs I have in my pocket right now? All the songs, every song ever I have in my pocket because of the internet. So that's what's in your pocket. The internet. I was wondering about that <laughs> when I walked in today. I was like, what in the heck is in Bobby's pocket? The internet. Okay. But we've come a long way in a very short period of time because I think that iPod was introduced in what, 2001 or two? I'll look, keep talking. And, and MP3 players and mini disc players were kind of starting to crop up in the late 90s. And then the iPhone was... October 23rd, 2001. You are correct. It was 2001. The first MP3 player to pack a mind-blowing 
not 100 songs, but 1,000 songs, according to Apple.com, first result off of Google TM registered trademark. <laughs> I still think the first one, he said 100 songs in your pocket, but maybe no, I'm, I could be misremembering. This could be, this could be the Mandela effect. Could be. Or the Bernstein Bears effect or Let's something. see what happens when I go to the internets and type in 100, that's 100 songs in your pocket. 1,000 songs in your pocket is the first. Are you, are you saying you may have misremembered history, Mr. Flood? Um, maybe I am. I think we just lost 35 listeners there because they are appalled at the lack of precision. Well, you remember, though, uh, 1,000 would have been mind-blowing because a CD would hold maybe 20, depending on the length of the song. Yeah. It'd hold mm-hmm. 20 Green Day songs, but only three Grateful Dead songs. <laughs> and one Pink Floyd song, one. or one side of a Rush LP. <laughs> right. That was for you, I Play the Radio. So uh, We're any, hoping you're still listening. Anyway, yeah, this is a mishmash for sure. Um, we didn't come prepared with any specific thing. There are some current events. They're currently happening. Well, we're currently not interested in talking about those events. Um, you can probably get all about, you know, you can learn all about those on Twitter or wherever. No, I think you bring up a good question, though. Can you, liter- can you legitimately say you've read the book when you only listen to it? And, I, and I, it sounds like I'm definitely, I'm definitely siding on the side that it's, it's not as good to have listened to it. You only listened to it. See how pejorative that was? You only, you only listened to that book. I think that in either way, the text goes into your brain. The, the nice thing about reading the text for yourself is, especially in the case of a novel, you create those, those characters' voices in your brain. And so you bring those to life using your imagination and the quality of the writing. In an audible situation, the narrator does that for you. So you lose that. You you lose that part of the experience, which I think is a big part of the so reading you, experience. You feel like if you read it yourself, your imagination is an important factor that fills in the color of what you're reading. I think so, but because because uh, oftentimes in audible, you know the the main character the narrator will give that character a voice. Like he'll have his narrator voice. Like Jonathan came down the stairs and into the kitchen. That's the newscaster voice. When he came into the kitchen, he saw his little sister and he said, Hey, little sister, why are you eating my Cheerios? The little sister. So see that, that voice was son of Fauci. So he gives him that voice and that maybe that's not the voice in your head. You might've read, Jonathan came down the stairs and said, Hey, little sister. Like, you get, <laughs> you get my point. That's the older son of Fauci. <laughs> yeah, the younger son of Fauci and the older son of Fauci there. But all, you, all of Bobby's voices are derivatives of Fauci. If keep, you, keep going, keep going. If you get a really good narrator, then it can enhance the experience as well, though. Like Stephen Fry reading Harry Potter? I don't know. Did he do Harry Potter? Yeah. There was one, I wanted to get the book, uh, 
Lonesome Dove, which is a classic Western, right? I wanted to get it on Audible. But the narrator reads the book and does this between all of his sentences. And the narrator takes over a lot of breath. (laughs) Takes over a breathy narration. The whole whole story, all you hear is, and it's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. We we get a lot of this like if if when you go to church and you you listen to the speakers you get a lot of the mannerisms that are kind of interesting like do you, do you yeah. ever get the yeah I'm not able to do it right now yeah a lot of the clicking like yeah well President Nelson has the whistle the old man whistle when he says his s's say. Oh, okay. <laughs> But yeah, you, you get the manners, and then you get figures of Sometimes speech. Sometimes you get people that do like uh, the thinking sound. That's like a little bit of a, a thinking noise. You get a lot of figures of speech uh, that trickle down in LDS culture. When someone gives a prayer or a talk and sacrament meeting, they'll sometimes say something like, I was reading the scriptures, even the Book of Mormon, or the prophet, even Russell M. Nelson. That's a popular one. Even. Really? Even? Even. <laughs> so it's, it's sort of an equivalence, an equivalency. Right. If you want to, you know, they, they, you pick up on certain things if you want to sound like the people giving talks in general conference, and they tend to echo that in general conference. Right. So you have a lot of the same mannerisms and speechisms. So it's like if I were to go home and uh, my wife says, where you been? I say, well, I was podcasting with my uh, friend, Bobby, even the flood. Even Bobby Flood. Bobby Flood was chosen, that name was chosen because of the year 2023, where much of America will wash away into the ocean (laughs) through a flood. Just heads up for the listeners. Does that mean I have to change my name? No, no. I think the floods, (laughs) these floods may be... Flood may be appropriate. There was a period uh, 10,000 years ago. I don't know. What is it? 12,000? According to Graham Hancock and Ancient Apocalypse, uh, traditional Christians believe it was more like 2,000, 2,500 BC. But there was like this flood, this massive flood issue that happened to wipe the earth clean. I've heard about that. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think the, the name Bobby Flood is appropriate. Well, if my name determines the weather, then I'm going to change my name to Bobby 77 degrees, 365 days a year. (laughs) 77? That's a little hot. Okay, 74. One of the classic lines, (laughs) one of the classic lines in movies comes from Miss Congeniality, Mm -hmm. Sandra Bullock, when she's asked, what's the... Describe the perfect date. And she says it's like April 24th or something like that because it's not too hot and it's not too cold. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you can, wear, you can wear a light sweater. <laughs> I can't remember exactly how she says it. That's funny stuff, though. It is. Isn't there a line in Anchorman where he's like, good morning, San Diego. It's 72 degrees. It'll be 72 degrees forever. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Do they have weathermen in San Diego? Well, that's the whole premise the whole of Anchorman. Yeah. I haven't seen it. This is Will Ferrell, right? Will Ferrell, Steve Carell. It's a it's it's an old comedy classic. Would you recommend it? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can be a little bit uh, crass, but it's pretty funny. So it's recommended to the men, not the women. A lot of one-liners. <laughs> like, 60% of the time it works every time. <laughs> or, I'm kind of a big deal. That's pretty good. I've, heard, I've definitely Stay heard classy. that I'm kind of a pretty, pretty good deal. Stay classy, San Diego. I've heard several of these, yeah. Well, it's almost been an hour of this mishmash. Well, okay, let's talk about, what do you really want to talk about today then? Let's talk about something important. Um, do you want to pause while we think of that? I don't know if there's anything, I can't think of anything important <laughs> that we haven't already covered and solved. We've got this, we've solved all of them. America's problems and the world's problems. It's just I think that we the, solved that a few episodes ago. The leaders of the world don't listen to us. I think the us. problem is that Biden, um, didn't he end the state of emergency last week, finally, for COVID? Yeah. Is that what, ha- that's the problem, is we don't have any emergency going on to talk about now. Well, we've got floods here. I'm sure Spencer Cox is getting ready to get all the federal grants that he can for a state of emergency. Well, that's why you have to yell state of emergency maybe we could get a law passed that says you can't declare a state of emergency because it's the same as yelling fire in a crowded theater well wouldn't a state of emergency be sort of self-evident and wouldn't need to be declared but of course they do this you know herbert gary herbert the predecessor to the venerable governor of utah the great state of utah spencer cox was famous for uh states of emergency i think we were in a state of emergency for the entire 78 years that he was governor however long he was the governor gary herbert yeah yeah the way you said it made it sound like spencer cox was the great state of utah even spencer cox well i mean he embodies the great state of utah. The he's, great state. he's a great example of of what a utah is you know he's weak he's feckless Interested he, in uh, doing what California is doing. Blown around by unless every Virginia, wind of doctrine. Yeah, unless what Virginia and New York are doing seems more stylish, then we'll do that. <clears throat> anyway, we've gone a couple episodes, I think, without bringing up Spencer Cox. I think we, we've gone a lot of episodes. I, it, part of that is because I don't pay as much attention to him anymore. I used to check his Twitter feed, you know, daily, but now I don't really pay much attention to it. I did see when he was, he he posted two graphs. One was like last year with all the drought and one was this year with all the moisture. And he put a little praying emoji, like two hands pressed together. And again, I I think that I'm not going to say that God doesn't answer prayers because he does. I just don't know that massive flooding is something to be real grateful I mean, that, for. That's the question. If people are praying for rain, does God send so much rain that it floods? I mean, is that the kind of God we have? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's like, oh, a, they want rain. Poor, flood them out, Jesus. Right. And, and I guess also, like, did, did the state, you know, a lot of people are criticizing, you know, pe- people put way too much on the state, right? You should have done something to prepare us better for coronavirus. You should have done something to prepare us for eight, 800 inches of snow. And it's like, well, that's not the job of the government. But I don't know what if the state did anything or is doing anything to, to help mitigate the effects of these floods. One of the ways to avoid uh, bad effects of flooding would be not to build neighborhoods in, 
on the sides of sandy mountains. Um, that's one thing, but that's that ship has sailed and now it's well, sinking. Well, I think you'll normally see when an area is settled that the homes are built in more rational places, safer places. But then once people start to fill in, you know, you start to build them down in the valleys and the not not the valleys, but the the what would you call them? Riverbeds, riverbeds, river bottoms. The river bottom, yeah, we've kind of avoided that around here. The crevasses, but the real danger areas, at least as far as flooding goes, is the Wasatch Shelf, the bench, which is a lot of sandy. There's an old song you might have heard it, right? It says, "Wise, Wise man, man builds his house, house upon, upon the, the sand." Rock house upon. upon oh wait, sorry, yeah, sorry. sorry. Shoot. The wise man built his all the con- house. The contractors around here reversed it. Because they've built a lot of very big homes on literally sand hills, like the, the point of the mountain, which is being dug away. And I think at one of these days, one of those backhoes is going to dig in and the entire point of the mountain just slides down. It's going to just fall. There's not much Do point you, of the mountain left. Have you done much reading or audible listening to uh, accounts of these like dreams and visions that people have had of calamity? I mean, you... You had, we were talking about this right before we came on. You, you had a dream where you were on a boat that sort of disintegrated as you got into the docks and then the whole port city was engulfed in a massive storm or something like that. Is that what happened? Or it yeah, was fire like, or something like that? I think it was Do you remember a, this vividly? Yeah, ma- massive storm was moving from inland. Mm-hmm. And then your boat... And the the, the boat came into the harbor, and for some reason, I, I I'm just I, imagining Bobby Flood dressed like Captain Jack Sparrow in the first Pirates of the Caribbean, where he steps off the mast onto the dock. Yeah, and you're thinking, boy, that dock is that cove is really deep. Yeah, um, well, I've heard of other dreams like this, right? Seeing sort of. But have you done much like serious study of this? Like, not a ton. I've I've read up on some of it here and there. And J- Joseph Smith had Smith had some interesting dreams that were not necessarily calamity calamitous, but showed things in a state of disarray or decay. Like, uh, I think one of his famous ones is the farmhouse. Okay, I was wondering if you're getting at that. Tell us about the farmhouse dream. Well. He dreamt that he had come back to an old farm that he had owned, if I'm remembering correctly. And there were people bickering and, and fighting over the farm. But the farm and the farmhouse, the infrastructure, the barn and everything was in disarray. It was all just sort of decayed. And it was his apart. farm. That was, was, his, the, yeah, that was, was the thing. It was like his farm. And then he left for a while and he came back and other people, it had fallen in disarray. And then, then um, other people tried to take it from him? Well, I think maybe they had just thought he was now not coming back or something and they were fighting over who owned it if i'm again i'm it's been a while since i've read that but it's in complete decay right everything's falling apart and overgrown nobody had kept the farm up and and we'd have to go back and read it to know if they were supposed to be there if they were trying to steal it from him and there's various interpretations of that dream yeah if i if i recall i don't think that that those were details that came up in the dream i think it was that he came back and it was in disarray and it's like he's thinking about doing something about it and then everyone starts fighting over it and they pull out their knives and they're and and he's going well i don't want it if it's in that kind of disarray and you guys are going to act like this right so yeah we could we could find that and link to it you can read it and come up with your own conclusions of what it might mean 
I think the listeners want us to tell us what the conclusion is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's why they're listening to the Mind Virus shows because they're very free thinking. Uh, a lot of people have interpreted that as the state of the church. Let's just throw that out there. Yeah, that's one of the interpretations. Could be the state of the country. Could be the state of government. Could be the state of his farm. Could be the state of the farm. Yeah. And it could be nothing. Well, so that's a good question. I mean, dreams, after you've commented on figures of speech and whether or not reading a book is the same, or, or listening to a book is in the same category as reading a book, after you've commented on Mind Virus show, mindvirus.show, about that burning issue in my mind. <laughs> uh, tell us some of your dreams or your thoughts on dreams. Uh, you know, Bobby and I did share, and, I, and if there has been a theme to today's podcast, which has been sort of haphazard to this point, it has been a little bit about flooding and, and uh, the potential for climate calamity or whatever. But we did share a couple of weeks ago dreams we, we had about calamity that was upon us. My dream involved tornadoes. Mm -hmm. So you, you have seen storms in the last few months. We've seen that. We've seen it over the, over the winter, uh, literal storms, right? And we've seen literal tornadoes across the Midwest the last little while. Is that, I, I mean, I take my dream as more abstract personally, but what is it about dreams? And, and, and I was getting at this uh, subject of these apocalyptic dreams that people have had. A guy named Roger K. Young compiled a bunch of these dreams and visions into a book titled Dreams and Visions, and uh, some of his thoughts on the end times into a book called Behold the Fig Leaves or something like that. I don't know. There was also Crowther who wrote Prophecy Key to the Future. You know, A lot of these people like to figure out the timing based on mathematical uh, calculations relating to statements in the book of Revelation and in scriptures and statements by prophets, obscure statements by LDS prophets from, you know, Joseph's day onward, et cetera, or things they can find in the scriptures. And I, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't think the book of Revelation is, is, chronological, especially not in the way that people think. It has some chronological events, some sequence, but I don't think it's what, what people are thinking of. But anyway, people have talked about that. And, you know, I've run into multiple people who uh, have had dreams relating to the Salt Lake Valley and calamity occurring in the Salt Lake Valley or vision, like pseudo visions. I don't know if you'd call them visions, but... You know, people who have spiritual gifts, that's an interesting topic too. Like, what are they really experiencing? You know, who, who's to say a person's... We look at each other and we, we, we tend to superimpose our worldview and our, the way our mind works upon the guy across the table. And that's mm -hmm. obviously not, you know, might, might not even be close. And so it's kind of hard to as you dialogue or as you talk to people to, to figure out what they're really experiencing. So, I mean, um, people who've had these dreams or, or visions or whatever, I think that's an interesting topic. I'm not, I look, I don't necessarily endorse what Roger Young has said. He's, I think he's predicted the end a couple of times or at least certain events. Um, a couple of times it didn't come to pass. There was a whole community. Do you, do you remember the avow community? Did you, they were associated with the, 
um, the preparedness expo that would go mm-hmm. on down at UVU. Yeah, it seemed like in the 80s and 90s especially, there was a, a real rise in sort of the end times movements. Oh, it was the Clinton administration, so it was like, oh. Well, in the, two, in the year 2000, had a lot of uh, mystique around right, it. Right, Y2K. Yeah, Y2K was supposed to, which is year 2000, right? K is an abbreviation for 1000, in case you didn't know that. But remember, uh, January 1st at midnight or, you know, December 31st at midnight from 1999 to 2000 was supposed to ruin all the electronic computer infrastructure in the world. Right. I don't remember well enough what the, the, the logic behind that was. The like, logic was that we only had two-digit dates programmed into the databases, into the computers. Right. And so it was going to flip over to the year 1900. Zero, zero. It was going to tilt. It's going to tilt to <laughs> 1900, yeah. What? what? <laughs> I remember thinking... Look, I was into, I was into computers I, that, as a, you know occupation at the time. And right. I was into, uh, understanding a little bit about computer programming, I, I thought about it. I prepared, you know, bought some preparedness supplies. We got, we got a little bit better prepared than we were as a young family. And I thought there's a possibility. Some big systems may have problems that, that will cascade out of control. Wasn't the solution though, just what happened was that people went into their computer programs and just added some digits before it all happened. I think that's what happened is most businesses behaved responsibly and the government put in, which is uncharacteristic of the government but they got ahead of the problem and uh well they the government and the media also tried to scare the heck out of everybody did was it was it the media that was trying to scare people I, over I, I want to say there was a newsweek or a time cover that made it look like doomsday we could probably find that by the way time magazine if you someone posted a, a collage of time magazine coverage from like the 70s to present day and there's about 12 or 15 of them that are trying to scare up fear over pandemics. <laughs> like they've been trying this over and oh, yeah. over and over. Yeah. And finally it's stuck, you know, because the entire apparatus of media and government got behind the coronavirus. Well, yeah, we have, we, we've 2. known 0. for a long time. We've known since the nineties from the documentary, the X-Files that <laughs> the government, the secret combination wants to take control of America via the continuity of government laws. So they just need an emergency big enough to get FEMA right. activated everywhere. And I think that uh, Y2K was one of those events that they, they tried to really scare people into, uh, you know, this calamity, but that was also the internet was still kind of in its infancy back then. There were people, believe it or not, in 1999 to 2000, over that, that New Year's period, there were still people in the United States who were not connected to the internet. I, uh, I, I, I stockpiled so many of those AOL CDs that had a free hour of internet on them that I, I went 17 years without paying for the internet. <laughs> One hour at a time. You've got mail. It was a big deal in our household when I was a, a kid. I'm not really a kid, I guess an older teenager, when we got a second line for the internet. Which meant I could talk on the phone and be on the internet at the same time. 
Mm-hmm. That's where the term dial-up comes from, <laughs> you young, you young bloods. You were literally dialing a number. Yeah. And connecting to the internet via phone lines. Well, well getting back to these uh, dreams and visions, which I think are interesting relative to the flooding, a lot of them have this element of a flood, right. an earthquake and a flood mm-hmm. here in the Salt Lake Valley. And you, you're bringing up all these homes built on sand hills. And, uh, you know, we, we, we don't really, because it's never really happened that we're aware of around the world in our lifetime, except maybe if you look at Turkey, uh, third world countries, it seems to happen, Mexico City, whatever, where an earthquake really wrecks things. There, there right. was the Great Alaska earthquake. You, you know, I, this was in the 60s. I have a relative who, who lost her husband mm-hmm. in the Great Alaska earthquake. He was near the docks, and then they just never, never heard of him again. Right. You know, he was gone. Let's see. The, earth, the Great Alaska earthquake was 64. And so anyway, this woman ended up marrying my, my dad's uncle, and they had a combined sort of a massive Brady Bunch family, which mm-hmm. was a great family. But uh, yeah, her first husband was disappeared in, on March 27th, 1964. It was a magnitude 9.2. That's got to be one of the biggest on record, right? I think so. But my, my point here being that it was in 64 and it was in Alaska mm-hmm. and very few people were affected by it or, or really remember it. And that's not that long ago. Right. But we, we, we seem to be hypnotized, mesmerized by the continuity of life here. And then there are these big shifts that affect people in, in dramatic ways. One that we know of if we're believing Mormons is uh, at the time of Christ's crucifixion in the Americas, supposedly the whole landscape changed. Right. Cities, Cities were swallowed buried. up. Buried, I, was watching, I was watching the movie 2012. John Cusack, Woody Harrelson <clears throat> was in that. I love <clears throat> the Woody Harrelson character in that. He's the conspiracy theorist. Do you remember seeing this? I don't think I've seen that one all the way through. <clears throat> That's the end of the world Mayan calendar, right? Well, yeah, they don't really spend much time on the Mayan calendar. They just say that in tw- it's just 2012 mm-hmm. and... Um, there are these massive, the, the, the earth, sh- the, the tectonic plates all start to shift on the earth's core mm-hmm. and slide around rapidly. And there's massive waves and tsunamis and uh, earthquakes and all this stuff. Well, anyway, California falls off pretty much into the, into the ocean and the cities are buried in, in water and in earth. And it mm-hmm. sounds a lot like, sounds a lot like third Nephi. Right. Like it's like, I wonder if they use that as sort of a model <laughs> to, to how they're going to like, you know, here, try this out. Do a little CGI that, that approximates this. Right. But uh, people have people have had these premonitions. People have had these dreams and visions of this occurring in, in Utah. Supposedly we're long overdue or, or we're due for a massive earthquake. I remember being up at the Salt Lake Capitol a few years back and in the I don't know if they still have this but in the basement they had a little exhibit dedicated to how they had retrofitted the um the Salt Lake Capitol for to survive a magnitude 7.4 or 7.3 I can't remember which one it was but it, it was 7 that's not that big 
I mean, it's big, but it's not unheard of. The uh, th- we had two pretty significant earthquakes in 2020. Uh, we had the one that uh, the the big, the larger of the two is the one that knocked the trumpet out of Moroni's hands. And I think that was the second mm-hmm. earthquake, and, but there was one just a couple weeks before that, and I, I felt them both. I'd been up; they both occurred at like at seven or so in the morning, and I, uh, the first one I was up. I was awake, but I was still in my bed, and I, and the whole room started shaking. Um, and then, of course, the uh, the second one, I was downstairs sitting in an office chair and uh, thought stuff was going to fall off my wall, which it didn't, thankfully. But those were two pretty significant quakes in a relatively short period of time. I think they were a month or so apart. And um, those were the first ones in my lifetime that I remember like feeling here in the, in the great state of Utah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, we've been told since we were kids, right? Like, did you used to do earthquake drills in school where you'd hide under I your think desk? I remember doing something like that. We did them all the time, at least twice a school year. We had a fairly, um, in 11th grade, we had a, a history teacher who um, was quite large and, uh, I remember we had an earthquake in school during our history class Mm -hmm. and everybody, it went for a minute and everybody was like, what do we do? What do kids were getting under the tables? And then uh, our teacher was not in the room Mm -hmm. and right as it ended, one of the kids says, quick, she's coming back. (laughs) It was terrible. (laughs) That's going to get us canceled right there, recounting the hijinks of 11th graders in, in that's Utah. Pretty, that, look, that's pretty clever, though. It was the presence of mind, you know, because I think they'd realized it was like, okay, this isn't a bad one. Right. That's, <laughs> wow. Yeah. but That's uh, something that would be in like an Adam Sandler movie. Yeah, yeah. Can you have an Adam Sandler movie anymore? Or is he just making the murder mystery ones with Jennifer Aniston now? Yeah, it'd be hard. You know, someone asked... Robert Downey Jr., could you make Tropic Thunder today? And he's like, no. I think it was Joe Rogan asked him. He's like, no way. And if you've seen Tropic Thunder, it's, they take on a lot of taboo. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is in blackface. Yeah, in he that plays movie. a black guy. And it's hilarious. The movie's over the top. But, but you can make movies like White Girls. That's okay. Well, yeah, like I said, like, there's certain things that black people can do that white people can't. And that's not racist. It's just facts, and it's the it's part just of, the way everybody. It's acts a part right of now. the part of the one of the one of the weird cultural uh, taboos of our time. Like, like black people can use the N word, white people can't. You know, black people can do white face like white girls, but it's harder for white people to do that. So, so getting back to the topic of earthquakes here, um, just doing a little quick Google searching. They they. These experts, it appear, are these experts, air quotes, okay, are estimating the big one for the Salt Lake Valley to be 7.3 mm-hmm. on the Richter scale. So they have retrofitted or, or built into the uh, Salt Lake Capitol, and then there's this article I'm looking at is Salt Lake City Hall. They've, they've, um, they're, they're trying to withstand, they've, they've, they've 
modified these buildings to withstand a 7.3 earthquake. Well, yeah, what would we ever do if the Capitol building fell over? <clears throat> <laughs> but I'm not. I, I wonder if the Salt Lake Temple, if it's being uh, outfitted to withstand a 7.3. Well, I, do you know what the because my question is. What about a 7.4? Right. That's my question. What about a 7.5? Well, been... If you can get a 9.2 in Alaska, and if the Nephites had whole cities buried. There's been a lot of retrofitting and new buildings in Utah and Salt Lake City that are supposed to be earthquake resistant the way they build them. I think it's a pretty cool engineering feat if I knew anything about that, but it sounds cool. Yeah, they put them on these isolators. like they, They're like these little shock <clears throat> absorbers that... Yeah, the, allow the, the, allow the, the temple ground, ground who, to shake and the building doesn't shake. Uh, the, who knows on the on the temple? I mean, it's it's pretty much if you look at the pictures, it's being rebuilt from scratch. Like like it's it's a whole new building. I want to know what they're going to do when those holes fill up with water. I mean, <laughs> is it possible they're going to have a huge swimming pool there next to the temple? Maybe. I mean, I I don't know. They tell us that it's not going to flood down Main Street, but there are other streets in Salt Lake City that have been turned into rivers already this year. Okay, Deseret News says that the Salt Lake Temple is being retrofitted to withstand a 7.3. Okay, yeah. So, But not 7.4 or 7.35? Okay, so that's the, that's the thing the cool kids are doing is 7.3. <laughs> okay. That's why I'm serious. This is no, a serious I, burning question. When I, when I, I don't saw know. That, I mean, I guess if it's 7.4, then it falls over. Right, when, I, when I saw the whole um, display down there in the Capitol building, it was, that was the burning question. It's always been a burning question. What about a 7.4 or, a, or, heaven forbid, something even greater? Isn't every step 10 times worse? Or is it? I don't know. I don't, I don't know on the, on the math on that. But there was significant damage. To the temple on the what was the one we had that knocked the trumpet out? What it's, was that five point okay. seven or something? It's a log. It's a logarithmic scale, isn't it? Great that we have Google. We can just act like experts here because we can just read it. Right well, that's what Google. the experts do. <laughs> They're just reading it off of a teleprompter. Each one point increase on the scale represents a tenfold increase in the magnitude of the quake. One point, so from like six to seven, not six to six point one. I think. Yeah, six to seven is 10 times greater, is okay. the way I understand it. So the energy released by an earthquake increases at an even steeper rate, going up by a factor of 32 for each one point increase in magnitude. So it's saying that the, um, I think we have two different factors energy release and magnitude of the quake. So yeah, it's 10, point, 10 times worse to go from one to two and it would be therefore 10 times uh, uh, worse than a two to go from two to three. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. Listeners? So maybe uh, 7.3 and a 7.4 is uh, a measurement error. <laughs> what, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But what if it's like, oops, it's off its foundation and it crumbles. But if it's, if it's built to withstand 7.3 and you get a, a 7.8 or, or an 8.0, you're probably in some trouble. But an eight, anything bigger than 7.3 is pretty rare. I mean, those are the ones you hear about wiping out entire cities in Mexico or something. Or at least you used to. You don't hear much about that as much anymore. Maybe the world is catching up with their infrastructure or there just hasn't been uh, as many big quakes 
Here's another explanation. The Richter scale is logarithmic. This is from HowStuffWorks.com. Science.HowStuffWorks. Mm, science. Dot. Dot. Yeah, this is the accepted science. Mm-hmm. The Richter scale is logarithmic, meaning that whole number jumps indicate a tenfold increase. In this case, the increase is in wave amplitude. So none of this 32 times from energy, okay? So the tenfold increase is an increase in wave amplitude. That is, the wave amplitude in a six, a level six earthquake is 10 times greater than a level five earthquake. And the amplitude increases 100 times between level seven earthquake and a level nine earthquake. And then they're then they throw in the energy release and they say the amount of energy release increases 31.7 times between whole number values so that's the so this is a better explanation when they when they're talking about wave amplitude they're talking about the size of the waves created is 10 times greater between whole number jumps which is the equivalent of 32 times more energy between whole number jumps is that perfectly clear bobby flood bobby earth bobby the earthquake even the flood wasn't there a wrestler called the Earthquake? I don't know. I don't remember. It's WWF, WWE. WWF? No, I, I think don't know. So. I'm only WWE. So. Well, they, that's the predecessor. Was it not? I, I don't know. Well, I'm going to look this up. Okay, you look it up. But yeah, I yeah, think, I think this, is a, this is a real problem because what you're saying is that if You've got you've got a building that's built to withstand a 7.3 because somewhere along the line, scientists, probably at the University of Utah, decided that that was what was the likely big one for Utah that was going to hit. And if they've miscalculated, and you have um, a 10 percent greater earthquake, not a 10 times greater earthquake, right? Just imagine you increase the power by 10 times. That's, that would be going from, sorry, not, not 10 times, but 10%. If you went from 7.3 to 7.31, that would be 10%, a 10% increase. You, know, you guys that play the radio, I play the radio, will get this. If you take the volume knob and you turn it up a notch so it can be 10% louder, that's a noticeable difference. That's what I'm trying to say. And I think radio is a good um, visual here. <laughs> that's why I'm... Is that funny? Because it's, it's, it's a good audible here. On my radios, my knobs go to 11. Yeah, spinal tap. Yeah, it's, it's, but it's louder. If you were to go from 10 to 11, that would be a 10% increase. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you ratchet it up, that's an increase in, in wave amplitude, audible wave amplitude, even though this is a, this is so, <laughs> this is a, this is a, a thought experiment. I know it, it's not a visual because we're, we're doing this podcast audibly and it's all audible and we're talking about sound, but it is a good, a good uh, thing to visualize in your mind's eye. If you're, if you're thinking of the waves. So, 7.3 to 7.4 that would be um one a full twice as powerful that's what i'm trying to say is if if you go from 6 to 7 if you go from one whole number to the next and it's 10 times greater that means that every decimal point every every 
mm-hmm. change in the mm-hmm. tens position, right? The, the first decimal point, that's twice as powerful. Well, I guess in the unlikely event that we get an exactly a 7.4 earthquake, we'll find out. I mean, that's twice as powerful. So you go, you go, I don't think there's a chance. I don't think there's, as they say, a snowball's chance in hell or in a jacuzzi or on your, (laughs) on your skillet in your, you know, in your kitchen that's turned up full blast. I don't think there's a chance of surviving a 7.4 if you've built it for a 7.3 because it's twice as powerful. I don't know. I didn't really follow your math, but <laughs> I don't know if I followed the math. But I think it's I know correct. I know our listeners want to know. John Tent, Tent Tenta. John Tenta was a Canadian professional wrestler and sumo wrestler, best known for his work in the WWF, that's the World Wrestling Federation, as Earthquake. You remember him? Yeah, he looks familiar. Yeah. So um he was a 7.3 earthquake. <laughs> Not a great looking guy, but powerful nonetheless. <laughs> Twice as powerful as a 7.2, 10 times as powerful as a 6.3. Does this make, make sense? I think, I think I'm making None. sense. I'm making sense to me. None whatsoever. I'm making sense to me. If, you, if they <clears throat> built it for a 7.3, that means a 7.4, we're just sorry out of luck. It's all over, but the crying. I, I, we may find out. It may not matter. The earthquake that just levels everything might be like a 10. Well, that's... And then it doesn't matter if it's a 7.3 certified or 7.4 certified. There There are people out there in government that are saying, well, (laughs) how... You know, that's what they're going to be saying after the earthquake is like, why why didn't the government save us from a 7.4? Why a 7.3? Well, because the cost also doubles. To go from 7.3 to 7.4. Because you have to get those... Well, as, as far as I understand, yeah. as relates to the Salt Lake Temple, money is no object. Apparently, because, again, I'm... Look, if you look at the f- published photos, and they're kind of protective over how much photography is out, but mm-hmm. it looks like they're just rebuilding a completely new maybe they place could, maybe right they next could, to the old temple Maybe site. they could just devise a system where the building is lifted off of its foundation into the air. They did just that. Slight, no, but I mean like permanently held like in just, the air. Like you just, you get in, if you step in there too quick, it starts swaying. Well, I think they probably could devise some way to... Um, like those, those uh, things you get on at a playground that move when you step on them? Well, they could probably devise some sort of stabilizers in this day and age of technology, but that, that maybe, there is a scriptural precedence for a building that is held above the ground. Maybe slightly. they maybe they are doing something like that. Um, I haven't done a ton of research on that project. It sounds like it's a pretty uh, pretty fascinating engineering feat. I mean, they, they did they like inflated it off of its foundation, right? Oh, did they the temple? Something like that too rebuild or redo things at the underneath well they it. have to lift it they have to lift it a little bit to get those isolators underneath it those shock absorbers right. so it's it's a huge project that and there's a lot of stuff going on next to the temple that's what's curious to me yeah so well, they they tore down the annex and they're and putting the annex underground and it's being it's got delayed again 
to like 2026 completion. Really? Well, I know, I'm not <clears throat> wanting to really rip on the temple or anything like no. that. Or, or the capital, but I'm, I'm just saying, what if? And, and there have been a lot of people that have dreamed about calamity in the valley. You're not, you're not like super familiar with this stuff, are you? Because I know some people. Uh, a little bit, but not a ton. That it is possible that one of our listeners might chime in who has actually had experiences relating to this. Well, maybe we should have that listener on the show. Yeah, I guess we could. If they want to. If you're listening, well, I'm not going to compel anybody to come onto yeah, the show only if they want to, except for Jordan Bruno. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> well, I, I think it's I think it's something interesting, uh, considering the type of climate <laughs> that we're you know the the you could call it a once in forty years type of a. Right, natural event, uh, but but you couple that with a, a few earthquakes or something like that. Do you get the type of flooding that those people well, had foreseen, uh, or or was that again just figurative what language? You, what you could get is see, there's been some there's been some wildfires nearby, uh, like right above communities on the Wasatch Bench. Right, those fires burn up the trees and the right they they create a possibility for massive erosion. Right. In fact, there's uh, in, in Utah County, if you know what you're looking for, you can see big scars on the hill that where the Brush chunk, fire, chunks yeah. of the mountain just fell down. The last oh, yeah, time we had because a, this a real before. wet spring. Well, but we, we haven't had a wet spring like this. A couple of years ago, we had one of the wettest springs on record. Like in what 2018 or 19? Really? But it was rain. It wasn't. Uh, there wasn't a huge winter. Uh, you know, a snowpack. But we had, I think, the second wettest spring on record, and there was a lot of slides, mudslides, and things. Mm -hmm. This is different in that there's a lot of water coming out of the mountains that has nowhere to go. So if we right got a down, lot of rain, right down Main if, Street, if we start to get a lot of rain in the next couple of months, well, that'll yeah, be problematic. Yeah, or if it gets super hot, but then you add in an earthquake. That just kind of just shakes it a little <laughs> bit, just jiggles the cake a little bit. I mean, it could get, yeah, especially if it was an earthquake that did some damage to existing infrastructure. I mean, did you see the pictures of the neighborhood in Salt Lake City where the, it was a newer neighborhood? And somebody, I think somebody did some math wrong. They did some woke math and thought 2.2 plus 2.2 is 5. Is this the one where the street was and a the totally gone? the street was gone. Right. And, and there were like driveways hanging over this big cliff this yeah. big riverbed yeah. or whatever yeah the, the 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 street literally like collapsed like no one was hurt thankfully but it could have killed somebody if someone was yeah, driving up some that, it just, that yeah. and i don't know how fast it happened but we're talking like a big trench where there used to be a road and you can see some of the sidewalks and pavement hanging yeah. over and so somebody did something wrong there mathematically or or it's just, it's just a lot more not, water than they not ever expected yeah not maybe not a place where there I think should we, be a street see i think we underestimate these these outlying events like we we've been we've become so complacent in the modern era thinking that we've seen everything in the last hundred years right if it didn't happen in the last hundred years that's it ain't gonna happen we're not planning for it mm -hmm. 7.3 earthquake you know that might happen but it, it's inconceivable that we'd have a 7.4. <laughs> I mean, even though Alaska had a 9.2. Uh, 
So I'm 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 just saying like we're we're pretty com- we're pretty pretty full of hubris and pretty complacent as as people. And so when this stuff starts to happen, like if you've never experienced water in a in a life threatening type of a way, I don't think you understand. It doesn't mm-hmm. take a lot of water to kill a person, right? And it, it all it takes is is a significant amount of water applied to a certain uh, space in the right manner to cut steel, right? Have you ever seen a water jet operating, mm-hmm. right? That's that's a really interesting thing. They wow. use it to cut steel because it's it's so efficient and and um, uh, you know user friendly. Of course, you don't want to put your hand under there, under there or anything. But they'll they have these CNC machines that cut steel with water mm-hmm. so that you you know it cuts it nice and clean. You don't have a lot of slag left over, and uh, slag is like that excess steel. Mm-hmm. But just, I mean, you get like a reservoir's worth of water or a massive amount of water and you apply it in one spot really quick. You could wash the valley away. I mean, you could literally wash, you don't, you almost don't even have to have an earthquake, but it, it does seem like, and we brought this up on the show before that, that earthquake a couple of years ago was sort of a, a, Hey guys, a, a, a warning, well, a wake it, it up did call. Get some people, Should, shouldn't it be like a wake up it call? It did get some some things moving, uh, no pun intended. Uh, I mean, in the last 10 years, you've had some dam uh, restoration uh, projects, not dam restoration projects. That was a 5.7, by the way, the 2020 that got the Angel Moroni's trumpet. But dam restoration projects, like Deer Creek Reservoir, got a big makeover over the last few years. Mm -hmm. I mean, if that dam were to go and the reservoir was super full, like it's going to be... That w- that could wash you out a bunch of Provo, Provo Canyon. Yeah, uh, anybody near the river bottoms. I mean, just right. Has any hasn't haven't these people seen Superman when the dam breaks? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so hopefully, I mean, it's going to be a real a water storage is going to be a real trick this year. Well, I'm not talking about this year. I'm talking about like the the black swan events, the outlier sure. events. Are we? Yeah, of course we we underestimate them because we don't want to. We like to see them on the screen, right? We like to go watch disaster movies, and then we go home and say, that'd, "Well, yeah, that'll never happen." Well, I don't know if we even say that. We just we just assume it's fiction, or we just it, or we, but we say, love but it. Like it's we it's say totally things like, psyches. "Well, we you know we uh, we have technology now that uh, it's impossible for this to happen. Our buildings can survive a seven point three earthquake. That great city Jerusalem would never fall. Could never fall." <laughs> Yeah, well, that great empire Rome could never fall. Well, as we've said many times, I think we're in for some interesting, interesting days ahead. Uh, whether it's uh, one way or another, we're facing some really bleak circumstances when you combine it all, right? Obviously, so, natural disasters you can't really predict. I mean, you can kind of, mm-hmm. uh, earthquakes oftentimes will have some little tremors and things leading up to it. But. Well, I kind of brought this up in the context of the dreams that we had, because as we were talking about it, you know, I'm realizing, you know, some of the dreams that I've had, actually, if you, if you look at them a certain way, they came true, you know? Mm-hmm. You wonder if Lehi, when he dreamed that he needed to leave, if it was like, you know, Sariah, I've had a dream, the Lord was in the dream, and he said to me, 
Thou shalt leave Jerusalem. Thou shalt not take this, but thou shalt take thy wife and thy children. And dot 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 dot. dot. <laughs> Here's the list. Here's your packing list. Leave by seven thirty tomorrow night, or you shall be destroyed by your neighbors who are desiring to kill you. Right. Or is it possible that it was a little more abstract that he had a you know because. All, I'm, I'm guessing most of our listeners remember their dreams. Some people say they don't remember their dreams, right? But most of our listeners, I'm sure, have had dreams that they remember. Maybe not all. Maybe you don't remember a dream every night. But if if we get into dream interpretation, the one the one, the two that we related on the podcast were ominous, mm-hmm. very ominous, right? And they didn't necessarily come right up at the you know right in 2020, which would have portended or foreshadowed events of the last year they came just recently right and i'm i'm just i'm just kind of thinking out loud here Do, what kind of credence should we give those things i mean if we knew if we knew exactly what was going on we'd be more likely to buy stock in the right companies rather than do what the lord wants us to do I right, think, right? Because <laughs> we we'd be like, well, we're just going to get rich here, and we'll survive the apocalypse that way. And God's like, ah, oh, contraire, mon frère. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to give you the details on which stocks to buy. I'm going to give you something abstract that you need to wrestle with and and struggle right. with, and look at the patterns going on in your society. And and this might play out over the next couple of years. Some some of these folks who've had dreams and visions that Roger Young compiled had them like you said in the late 90s uh early 2000s uh in their some of them in their formative years some of them i mean my understanding is that some of these dreams had very literal application in reality that some of these individuals actually witnessed playing out and that's why they took their dreams so seriously because mm-hmm. because they actually had other experiences that 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 uh, played out in such a way that they they had to take them seriously. The life events that were predicted, and then we, you know, we've seen seen so much time pass. You know, in the last uh, this is going to be a funny statement. In the last ten or twenty years, we've seen so much time pass. <laughs> yeah, about ten or twenty. <laughs> about years. ten or twenty years worth. Yeah. Uh, which is a short, again, we've brought this up before, that's a, scripturally or historically, that's a very short period of time. But for those of us that are living through it, it seems like, oh man, that's forever ago, right. Y2K. You know, you've seen your, you've had kids, seen them grow up. Some of them are in college. It's like, yeah, life, life, uh, life comes at you fast. It comes at you fast, but, it moves, but it moves slowly. It does. I was thinking about that the other day. Uh, everything's just a blink of an eye after, you know, when you look back. Yeah. And when, when the Lord says to somebody, this will soon come to pass. Right. What does he mean? Well, tomorrow or two years or 10 years or 20 years. How, what mm-hmm. is soon in the Lord's time timeline? I've had experiences recently where soon was a couple of months. <clears throat> which is, again, sort of unnerving. But if I'm looking back at other dreams... In, say in the past 15 years, mm-hmm. there was no, some of these abstract dreams that I think played out, um, prophetically, they, 
it took years to develop, a couple right. of years, three years, you know. Well, look at Lehi's. and maybe maybe they're still developing. Maybe yeah. they're maybe we're still seeing. It was several years after Lehi left Jerusalem that the city was actually destroyed. Right. Yeah, and I don't want to get into my. But I also think that there were probably things that went between the time Lehi left and the actual destruction. I'm sure there was a lot of cultural and societal unrest that made it may have made it impossible for him to leave when any later than he did. That's one thing these groups that would get together and analyze the dreams and visions crowd that that they would focus on. It's like, mm-hmm. well, you, you know, if you don't leave now or there there was the whole group that thought that we were going to be called out by the like the church was going to mm-hmm. send a truck around if you had food storage, that was your ticket to the Heber Valley Girls Camp and then <laughs> After I visited the Heber Valley Girls Camp, I realized you really don't want to get stuck in a church-run FEMA camp. Right. Just FYI. <laughs> right. It's not a good idea. <laughs> but, I, think, I think that's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> that Heber Valley Girls Camp is an inter- interesting location. Soon there will be a revolt against the couple missionaries that are running <laughs> the camp, and all hell is going to break loose. And- that camp is up on a steep hill, and there's only one road in and out. Yeah. Which is gated, by the way. That road is at the bottom. Hmm. I think it's gated. I'm guessing a few few trucks could make short work of that gate. Oh, sure. Coming, barreling down that hill if you needed to escape the camp. Unless you you pulled all your diesel resources. You could also just go the other way, escape on foot into the mountains. Yeah, but... They've released wolves into the mountains. True, true. <laughs> That's and, to keep you on the and, reservation. And we've come full circle yeah. to the wolves. Yeah. Well, maybe this is a good place to wrap up. Um, hey, I'd love to hear some comments from listeners. Uh, if you have thoughts or comments on all of these topics, number one, I'll remind you, how much credence should we give to people who are listening to audiobooks? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, uh, but uh, but I, I, I do want to know. I, I do want you to weigh in on whether you think that's adequate replacement for for reading. I don't listen to a lot of audiobooks, and I'm telling you honestly, sometimes when I'm reading books, I'm not reading books. I'm thinking about something else. So I get it. it. I, but it I'm happens. It's, it's sort of a, it's sort of a, uh, what's the word? Unserious comment, but at the same time serious. I am really curious the, about that. Uh, what your opinion is? I I can't just sit down on a chair. And listen to an audiobook like I would sit down and read. But driving, I can, I can. When you're driving, some, yeah, driving, I think is a different. I could cover some ground yeah. in an audiobook while I'm driving, especially a long drive. Or I've done some long distance bicycle tours. That's a great, uh, that's a great time for an audiobook. Some people who uh, run a lot or walk a lot, they they do some listening to mm-hmm. podcasts or or audiobooks when they do that. I think it's a great way to crank out uh, books, but I do think the reading experience is superior. But I do know the story of certain books that I've listened to rather than read. I still mm-hmm. I know the story. I think you can appreciate good writing in that format too because it reads well. Yeah. I wonder if, if you would, you'd be able to say reading is superior because while you're reading, you're stuck doing just that and you have so you're in a situation where you could do things like look up words that you don't uh, mm-hmm. know the definition of or pause 
go back and reread easier than maybe rewinding if you're driving. Right. But, uh, okay, so I want to know, I, I know what people think about that. This is your assignment, listeners. Tell us what you think about that at mindvirus.show on the uh, page where we post this podcast. And also, I want to know your thoughts on the dreams and the visions, if you're into that. And, like, how seriously should we take these things? I guess if you've had, if you've had dreams that have come true or have, that have that, where they've been abstract and then they've, they've over time come true or whatever, you tend to start, you probably t- take your dreams more seriously. But right. what, uh, you know, what do you guys think about that? That's my question. And uh, I'd also like to know what you think about the boxing classes. Do we need to start a movement to ref- <laughs> to either, like Bobby says, kind of consolidate that? Have we gotten too many boxing classes? Because this is a burning question for people who study the classes the weight classes of well, boxing. Think about it. They've got 18 weight classes for basically a hundred ish pound range. Cause most, at least with the men, right? Most men are going to, that box are going to be somewhere between 120 and like 250 pounds. That's 130 pounds range. Okay. I'm just, you know, just some quick math there. And we've got, we've, we're dividing, let's say we're dividing somewhere between 100 and 150 pounds into 18 classes. So if you take uh, 130 and you divide, let's see, I'm not going to do this math in my head. Let's divide 130 by 18. That's 7.2 pounds per class. Now, maybe some of you out there are boxer, boxers, the fighters, not the dogs. Maybe some of you are boxing aficionados or UFC aficionados where these weight classes are relevant or wrestling, I guess. Let us know if we're up in the night here, if we, if we don't understand. Educate us on why yeah, there let us be know, so many. Let us know what you think. Is a guy who weighs 132 pounds at, at really that much of a disadvantage to a guy that weighs 139 pounds? I don't know, but I would love to get your feedback, listeners, on this. We'd love to start a conversation. And um, my final thoughts on this podcast are the immortal words of Paul Simon. In the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trade, and he carries the reminder, the reminders of every glove that laid him down or cut him till he cried out in his anger and his shame, I am, I am leaving I am leaving, but the fighter still remains. Yes, he still remains. Yeah, that's a that's a great song. Yeah. The boxer. All right, well, thank you everybody. We will let you go. Uh you could have gone at any time, by the way. <laughs> no, you're now excused. <laughs> you're now excused. You cannot leave the podcast. You're excused, and this podcast is adjourned for seven days. <laughs>